welcome back to the second episode of All Good in the Brotherhood podcast. Um, I'm Nate Whitaker with my brother, um, Brother Francisco Whitaker. Hello, hello. And uh, today we are going to be talking about some ideas related to fantasy and myth. So um, the last episode was just kind of an intro to get to know us. Um, and we in, in it, we clarified what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. We're going to be talking about truth, goodness, beauty, uh, really the transcendentals of being. But in this episode, now that we've kind of introduced ourselves, we're going to dive in with the, our first topic, uh, which is, as I said, fantasy and myth, and seeing what is true about it, um, what advantages it has. Is it just kind of you know made-up stuff? Is it just fiction? Um, the myth that we have through folklore, through stories, through um, fantasy novels, all those sorts of things. W- what advantage do they have? How are they true? Yeah, yeah. Before we quite get into that, though, I, I think it'd be a fun question. So myth, uh, you know, sometimes we make our own myths about things. Um, what would you say was the most elaborate lie you've ever told? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I'm going to have to go through 19 years. Oh, you, you just sprung that on me. Hold on. Well, do you have one in mind for yourself? Um, well, I don't know, like, the most elaborate lie. Uh, well, there was, well, I guess, like, April Fool's kind of prank. It was a lie, uh, I guess, in a sense. Was because as we said, we're kind of pranksters. Yeah, they just probably talk about pranks a lot. But in a sense, pranks some pranks are just like straight up, straight up lies. Yeah. So my freshman year, I was rooming with my best friend uh, John Paul, and I left him a cryptic note early, early in the morning. I got up at like four a.m. and left the room. Mm-hmm. I left a cryptic note that I had to rush home, and uh, take care of a family emergency, and that I would hopefully touch base with him later that day. Well, I spent the entire day because I knew his college schedule dodging his classes eating at weird times and kept on sending him like cryptic texts like my sister's doing okay we're still not right. sure all these things and i even had his girlfriend at the time like bought in on it wow you and, went all out yeah that's wicked. and then uh i he talked to her on the phone and she like dropped like cryptic hints and i hid in my closet in a dorm for two hours uh and i just did all these things i had some of his family members in on it too. in the closet for two hours while he was in the room yeah oh my god and then gosh. i jumped out on him so it was very it's very elaborate lie um I, what was his reaction when he jumped out of the closet? He was kind of mad. Was he scared of like, first? What the heck? Were you in there the whole time? Were you spying on me? What if I said like mushy things? Because you know, you know, and I was like, oh, get over it. Oh, man. So he was, and, but he was kind of worried because uh, poor guy. Uh, so that we was, can't blame him for being mad at that. Oh no, yeah. That's that is cruel. So that was probably my most elaborate lie. I've done pretty elaborate lies. Um, not necessarily proud to say, but one of them that was pretty fun. Was I, um, this is like just a, not as interesting of a prank, but it was a little one just in the technological age. Back when uh, I was in a, a big group chat, it was, um, I don't know if you ever had it, Google Hangouts, that was like a thing. Homeschoolers for some, <coughs> sorry, homes, homeschoolers for a while were just like obsessed with that. That was their way of communicating with other homeschoolers. Yeah. We're all sheltered children, um, locked out from the outside world. But, um, there was a, a time when I was in a, in a group chat with uh, some friends of mine, and I got locked out of my um, Google account somehow. And instead of just, uh, like, trying to fix the password or figure out what the password was, because I, I had forgotten the password apparently, I just created an all-new Google account, um, and it, it was I, I made up a different name for some reason, uh, just because I felt like doing something weird. And I asked my friend, um, who was in the group chat I'd been in, to invite me into the group chat. They went this new identity. 
So I, I joined it, and then I just started, like, becoming this <laughs> terrible person on this group chat, just, like, pretending to be a terrible friend, just, like, yelling at all these people over a group chat that were all my friends because they thought I was just a total stranger. So I was just um, basically rude until I eventually got kicked out of the group chat, and then after that they found out that it was just me. But um, it doesn't sound as fun in the in the retelling, but over the course of a weekend, it was a lot of fun for me. I'll, I'll say that because all just the weird things that I did and would say to people and just kind of gaslighting people the whole time because I think they suspected it might have been me. Yeah. But like I would play it off that they didn't think it was me. So it, it was that was a pretty elaborate lie. That's pretty elaborate. But um, so I guess to bring that to the to the topic at hand, uh, is a myth a lie? Yeah. Is is a myth purely lie, purely fictitious, or is there truth to it? And in what way is there truth in it? Yeah. So. I mean, you know, just looking at myth itself, myth conveys more than just a story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, myth has themes. I mean, think about like Greek myth. Most of them had some kind of moral theme to them. Mm -hmm. Like, think about uh, Icarus, for example. You right. know, uh, he, you, you can't fly too close to the sun, right? Uh, otherwise, your his wings melted. Mm -hmm. Well, your ambition has to be tempered by prudence. Is kind of the moral of that one, exactly. Which is a very true uh, kind of moral for life and just the fact that it was taught by a kid with wax wings flying close to the sun is kind of irrelevant to the fact that it's true yeah exactly. so could we say that that myth is true in a way because what it's meant to do is namely the lessons meant to teach is true yeah exactly and I think it's fundamentally then to say yes like myth mm -hmm. is in a sense very true right. what happened in a myth could be completely fictitious mm -hmm. but the grain the seed of what it's relaying is absolutely true. So then what's the role of myth in, in relaying truth? Why can't we just say things outright? Right. Yeah, what, what is there that kind of gives an advantage or gives something that we want to turn to in myths or in Aesop's fables, those kind of things yeah, that, yeah. that teach moral lessons um, that are true? What is the advantage that kind of draws us into preferring those over just getting the same moral lessons in like a kind of geometric just uh stating them as like propositions kind of way because you could just as easily communicate the moral of uh the icarus story like like you mentioned by just telling your kids hey uh be obedient yeah. you know don't disobey your parents and and be prudent but there's something lost there just by doing that there's mm -hmm. like some sort of beauty or, or some advantage that seems to be lost which is there's got to be something there that causes us to be drawn into actually hearing the same message, but with a story kind of enwrapping it. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's that um, it, a myth brings to heart the truth, not just to the head. Hmm. So in Tolkien, uh, he talks a lot about how myth is able to relay truth more profoundly uh, than simply a, a speech, a monologue, or an essay, because he said that, what, what myth can do is it speaks to the whole person and the human experience. So if I just wrote an essay on why you should obey your parents, that's not really going to get to a person's heart. Right. If I just say, you obey your parents because this is you know advantageous to you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, congratulations, I told you what's true, mm -hmm. but did I really move you to desire to do that? Yeah. Not necessarily. Some people, sure, but not a lot of people. But if I relate to you through a story, maybe that's not actually true in the sense that it actually happened but what grounds it is true now i'm speaking to the whole human experience i mean think about the, the lord of the rings it's a right. complete fable none of it actually yeah. happened 
but the truth of persevering to the end despite mm-hmm. trial despite suffering despite temptation leads to a victory far beyond what they possibly could have imagined right with the knowledge that there is going to be times where you fall yeah. that's how it happens yeah but if i just told you carry your cross there's nothing else to it or persevere in the face of evil that's a great message but that frankly doesn't convey it as fully and as in a fleshed out way as a myth like lord of the rings is yeah in since myth also inspires a person to action mm-hmm. to embrace the truth that it relays right i think another advantage which you see in the example you just gave of lord of the rings but also in so many other stories um star wars uh even marvel just various kind of fictitious universes that are created through through storytelling um the thing that stands out to me is that you can see a not just a singular moral lesson there, there can be a primary one or even a hierarchy of, of morals taught through different stories like mm-hmm. the most important theme of a story is there you can you can recognize most in most stories but then there's secondary or kind of supplementary ones that are woven together yeah um yeah. which will actually create for a more holistic experience of learning so that the end result is you you end up seeing actually the harmony between moral lessons you don't just mm. see okay, this story communicates this lesson, or if I want to learn that lesson, I can turn to that story. No, you can have one story, one myth, that weaves them all together so you see there's, you, you get a whole kind of picture of a scene rather than a, a singular point. Yeah. And, like, for example, with The Lord of the Rings, yeah, you learn about perseverance through Frodo's experiences, but you also learn about um, bravery through um, Merry and Pippin, like how you can, how simple people can take on bravery. Uh, you learn about all sorts of experiences loyalty. through loyalty, um, Aragorn, like his, his experience of kind of struggling to, to become a true leader. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that are woven together under kind of the umbrella of this perseverance, yeah. moral and theme. Um, but do you see what I'm saying? You see, you yeah. get a more yeah. full picture when you have a myth than you might from just one um, proposition being spew, like spewed at you. Yeah, which, and think about it biblically too, because um, God works both ways. So we have we have the Ten Commandments, which are you know there's there's no myth to that. Yeah. A God just gave the Ten Commandments exactly as they are. The reasons why to follow them, and the reasons why not to do the, you know what we're commanded not to do. Right. But before the Ten Commandments even come, we get the creation story, right? Yeah. And the church actually understands that the creation account is mythical. That you know there might not really have existed a true exact garden of Eden the way they're described. The creation of seven days, you know, didn't necessarily happen exactly seven days. Hmm. Um, Adam and Eve themselves may represent our true parents, but the truth of the story mm-hmm. that obedience to God is fundamental, right. that we need, that we're created in his image and likeness, that mm-hmm. we're the crown of creation, that we're entrusted with a stewardship over creation, right. that the pride of human humanity led to the fall all of that is true in the creation story and in the story of the fall we see all of the ten commandments Mm -hmm. actually you know that after the fall now now all of a sudden they had to clothe themselves right thou shalt not commit adultery right they had soon right after we see cain and abel thou shalt not kill all of these things are being relayed before god actually said them fundamentally as Hmm. the written ten commandments so that in myth of the early stages of the bible 
are all the truth of the Ten Commandments before God laid them out. Now, he you're laid seeing them, them acted out on stage before they're kind of summarized at, in the Ten Commandments. Exactly. And God laid them out so that they're explicitly clear to us. Right. In case we didn't get them, the message. Yeah, which, hey, if you recognize us as humans, we never get the message. Right. Um, but in all of that initial stories of Adam and Eve, the fall, Cain and Abel, Noah, are all of the truths mm-hmm. that are in the Ten Commandments, just more subtle. So to me, that's God's kind of way of showing that myth is like the first human experience right uh, that we experience truth a little bit less directly um but that he also will give it to us directly right which is it's kind of cool right see that god himself works through myth first right that's a really interesting way of putting it because makes sense think about it when we um this is even known in the order of how humans um the the rational mind works first we sense things we see things and we hear things. Yeah. And right. then when we take together all of our uh, sights, the sounds we encounter, um, the things we touch and feel, we put that together and then we take those forms, those what um, Aristotle would call sensible forms, um, we kind of abstract them, and then we can really think about them after that and yeah. understand them. And it seems to me that's almost what happens in myth. Myth is more tangible. It's kind of more common sense, the sort of stuff you'd experience immediately. Yeah, because yeah, right. If by myth we mean stories, well, stories have um, kind of sights and sounds that are described, like the the image of just Icarus um, up there with his wax melting under the sun. That's a very tangible kind of um, intense image that you can really hearken to your mind. And then it's only after that that your mind applies itself rationally to the moral that it can deduce. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it is in the Bible, like you're just saying. We first encounter these very um, earthy, um, very physical stories of the sins, um, like Cain and Abel betraying his brother, um, Adam and Eve putting themselves before God. But then it's only later that those same kind of ideas are treated in a very rational, thou shalt not kind of way in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but right. both need to be there. Yeah. And I think uh, they also, what myth allows a person to do is to draw, like you said, like through experience, we're drawing the conclusion ourselves. Yeah. And as humans, we love to think that we invented things, right. um, even though that's not really true. So if we think that we come to our own conclusions about something, I think that also gives us like a little sense of like freedom and, and firmness. Like right. I see like finding the truth in myth, I think is a really rewarding experience right. that, ah, I see this. I see this in here. Right. I mean, it's also really... I'm not just being told it by somebody exactly. else or imposed it. It's yeah. It's coming to me as something I understand. Yeah. Now... Not saying that being imposed truth upon us is not also necessary. Right. For That's the reason God revealed <laughs> divine revelation to us to begin with is because there are certain conclusions. Because our destiny is beyond our earthly experience, uh, that there are things that we of our own accord could never draw conclusions of. Right. That there are, myth does have a limit. Mm-hmm. That that is where direct acts of truth have to be. That's why truth right. is on a proportionality. So that there is truth deeply seated in myth, right. but that is only to the extent that it can relay it. So mm-hmm. that ultimate truth, truth from God, is beyond myth. There's right. no way you can totally mytho- mythologize. Is that the word? Mythologize, yeah. Uh, like everything about God, you know, it's, right. it's just his truth beyond. It's infinitely knowable. But to the extent that we are corporeal, myth offers a real gateway into mystery, and I think that's why myth is really, really important. Is because of mystery. That we can never fully explain mystery, so we myth offers kind of a 
a roundabout way to talk about it. Isn't uh, I think uh, Dionysius talks about we can never definitively say anything about God, but we can say what God is not. So that is an image of a statue that when describing God, we're actually cutting away at what God is not mm-hmm. in order to reveal what God That's is. That's the closest we can grasp. Yeah. Right. So then kind of myth does a little bit of that. It kind of shows us what, what things are not um, to reveal some hidden truth, but we can never fully grasp that that mystery. Does that does that make sense? I think so. If I understood what you're saying, it sounds like you're saying um, while myth appeals to our senses in a very kind of earthy, tangible way, yeah. um, and in a way that we can understand in a very human way, so that we come to knowledge on our own, it actually, rather than going against uh, kind of revealed, imposed truth, uh, it actually opens the gateway to to wanting to understand those kind of deeper yeah. truths, those, those mysteries like you're talking exactly. about, that, yeah. are, that are higher that we couldn't actually come to just purely through myth or just through our own human reasoning. Yeah, I think it, to me it gives like a joy for mystery. Right. So like some, you know, for humans, we just want to know. Um, whereas, I, and mystery is often a thing we are uncomfortable with, we don't like. But I think myth gives a framework that mystery is acceptable and right. even something that's attractive. That, right. oh, I can't actually fully know this. Mm-hmm. I can understand part of it. But this, this story gives like a framework as to why mystery is something that to rejoice in rather than something to get worked up about. That is an interesting thought. And I, I kind of like that way of looking at myth. It gives more purpose to it than simply to, to teach kind of basic truths that we could probably come to through a, a syllogistic kind of way. Yeah. But instead we just dress them up with, with some right. fantasy and images. Mm-hmm. That, that seems a little bit degrading to speak of myth purely that way. What you're saying seems to give it more purpose and more depth. But one question I actually want to go to, because um, it, it seems to me that we've, we've pointed out the advantages that um, can happen through using myth to convey truths. Uh, we, we've seen the advantages that maybe it conveys truth in a deeper way, maybe it contru- conveys it in a holistic way, maybe it conveys it in a way that more readily appeals to our human experience and the way we encounter the world. Yeah, right. But what I wonder is, are there any dangers to myth? Are there dangers in the sense that um, it might be less beautiful to just tell someone the straight propositions, bare facts, without giving them fantasy world to understand it? But at least if you do that, they'll get the facts across clearly. Whereas sometimes you can get caught up and lost in the details of a myth and you don't actually get the moral. There's many people who walk away from reading a, a deep fantasy book that's full of many morals and themes and they don't know any of them they did they came away no more informed in a spiritual or or intellectual way than they were when they picked up the book yeah no i think that that is a danger of myth is just missing the truth altogether mm-hmm. that in hiding it, it that we it never is actually revealed right. i think also um myth because of kind of like what is allowed in myth and fantasy is is giving straight up wrong ideas um so you know someone could get the impression from let's say like the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings that contain magic, uh, that all forms of magic are therefore good. Right. Um, that's, that's not true. Dark magic or you mm-hmm. know, sorcery, witchcraft, th- those are not good forms of magic. It, right. And magic itself is, is not real. Uh, yeah. Magic in these stories is used as a tool to explain the supernatural. Right. It's not to say that uh, humans should engage in these things, right? Um, or they should go in your backyard looking for satyrs and yeah, and exactly. woodland fairies. Yeah, right. And, and I think also myth uh, could uh, be used for what kind of is currently a, kind of a culture of ugliness. Um, that like 
in myth you can kind of create these characters or these beasts or in all these images Mm -hmm. and unfortunately i think in a lot of contemporary fantasy sci-fi myth or whatever Mm -hmm. that like the ugly is portrayed as attractive that like the uglier something is or kind of the evil it is the more mysterious the more questionable Mm -hmm. that it's like it's so creepy that it's kind of cool you know people like like you know in the like crime shows like people are kind of obsessed with psychopaths right they're otherworldly in fantasy i think people are kind of obsessed with demonic Mm -hmm. and uh that that in myth and the fantasy these things are allowed because that's part of the storytelling but they focus on the evil and Mm -hmm. and not just not missing the good they actually only receive evil i think that's a danger that myth told wrong is more destructive yeah than than, no myth at all yeah exactly that's an interesting point so then there's almost then it seems like three steps kind of a degrading that maybe we see in our culture and in literature nowadays where first you have the ideal where there's um and i'm not saying this is an order of time because this could happen at any era or in any setting but seemingly in order of like kind of best to, to worst there would be a um beautiful um wonderful kind of richly imagery uh focused story or myth yeah that also communicates beautiful truths and and very true truths yeah. that's redundant but you know deep truths in an effective way so that a reader can go there be kind of um struck with wonder at the beauty of it but also get the truths effectively mm-hmm. but then there's a median step where the kind of the the dress up the around the dressing around the truth um of the myth or fantasy kind of becomes a little bit uglier or, or a little bit more kind of out there in a way, yeah, more yeah. bizarre, just to make the the story more engaging maybe, mm-hmm. or more the sort of thing that people would want to read. But then the, the third most removed, kind of the worst, is that then those are the focus of the story, is just the kind of accidental qualities, the outward dressings, yeah. even to the point of ugliness, so that the interior of the myth is actually now gone. The heart of what myths really should be, they should be kind of, maybe moral lessons with beautiful dressing around it. Mm-hmm. You just focus on the dressing so much that you forget what's the core of it. And the, the ornament of the imagery becomes more important than the moral being taught. Yeah. And I think that, right, you use the word beautiful a lot there. I think that's like really fundamental is that uh, truth spoken properly is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And myth needs to beautify truth. If you have a myth that isn't beautiful, you might be portraying truth, but I don't, is it is it proper? And I think sometimes, I mean, think about uh, you know some maybe like darker fantasies or darker fiction yeah. that they're portraying like the truth of sin and, and mm-hmm. evil, and maybe we need to see it that way too. Yeah. But there also is like there needs to be beauty in, mm-hmm. in it, and if you miss the transcendental, that's just how they are. They're so interconnected. You can't rip one away from the other. Right. So if you if lose portraying... beauty utterly, you're going to lose some aspect of truth, probably. Yeah. And if you lose truth, yeah, you're you're losing beauty. Right. So I, the beauty and the truth are so hand in hand. I think mm-hmm. in myth that that's where where you have a true good myth mm-hmm. uh, is one that is both beauty is like talking about like you know it's pleasure pleasurable to the senses in some sense mm-hmm. and i we talked about that you know it's like the, right. that first fundamental experience is through the senses mm-hmm. that's where like the beauty of expe- beautiful aspect of, ex- of experiencing truth through myth to get to the deeper truth that exists right so that's a good point and again i don't think that has to be across the board because there's a a story i don't know if you ever read it's called the forged coupon 
um, which is by uh, Tolstoy. And it's it's one of his less well-known works. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read it. I haven't, no. But um, it's kind of a novella. It's like a long, short story, sort of. Um, a little bit shorter than a novel. But basically, most of the story is not what you call beautiful. Yeah. It's very ugly. It uh, Everyone in it is kind of bitter and hateful and greed-driven. The entire world he kind of paints of um, Tsarist Russia is just conniving and kind of nobody trusts each other and everybody hates each other. It's mm-hmm. a very ugly story, but it communicates truths very well because it shows opposite of what you maybe would have called the ideal of a myth um, rather than using beauty to show why a truth is so good or, or why we need to understand it. Yeah. It uses um, ugliness to show what happens when we don't have truth. Yeah. So I think that can be a useful kind of mode or method of writing or composing a myth is you can use ug- seemingly ugly elements, things that aren't beautiful, like sure. yeah, ugly yeah, storylines, yeah. but to show a myth in, or to show a moral or a theme in the reverse way. Like, see, this is what happens in a society when you don't have truth. So here's why you need it. That, that, that all makes sense. What would you say is your favorite myth? Favorite myth. And like, why? Um, I think one of the best myths, again, Hopefully uh, the church won't uh, be mad at me for calling this myth. I, th- I don't think it's considered required uh, to believe. Is in the Bible, uh, the story of Job yeah. is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. It's just, it, it seems like a rough story to read, but it really kind of deals with one of the most fundamental questions I think that has ever kind of uh, probably kept millions and millions of humans up late at night for all of mankind's history which is just why do good people have to suffer or why does anybody have to suffer right, yeah. unnecessarily and in it if you're not familiar with the story job is this this great righteous man who is basically um god gives permission to the devil to basically ruin his life takes away his kids takes away his wealth because he used to be a rich guy takes away uh his friends his friends actually start kind of ganging up on him and beating up on him uh verbally and so his life just basically sucks yeah <laughs> um Seemingly for no reason. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He just arbitrarily bad stuff happened to him. And it's, um, I think it's it's a myth in the sense that we don't have to believe that it's true. It's it's kind of very dramatic in, in yeah. all the imagery that happens in, right. in the storyline. Um, but the truth that it conveys, the morality, is, is, is just huge and, and fundamental. And I would recommend it to anybody who's listening that if you haven't read it yet, the book of Job is definitely something good to put on your reading list yeah sweet i think my my favorite myth um i don't know that's that's hard i i honestly do love the iliad do you um yeah Yeah. i mean that i that's i know a pagan myth right but i i think just the lesson you learn from achilles about how pride really does come before the fall right is so dramatic in that story like achilles thinks he is like the thing you know yeah he's he's everything right and and the fact that he who is you know invincible in in all but you know that one achilles heel achilles heel um that his pride is his achilles heel actually uh not the fact that that was the only part that his mother didn't dip into the river sticks right but that he was passed up for whatever Mm -hmm. and what happened his best friend died he died sure they they might have won but his pride could made the war last so much longer made his friend die all these things 
And whereas Hector, who's on the Trojan side, and we're supposed to assume is the enemy, right. is actually humble, a good leader. He's a good family man. He's a good father and yeah. husband. He, he puts his people before himself as a direct opposite to Achilles. He puts himself before his people. Exactly. And, and what happened? Hector also dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but his death is so much more glorious than Achilles. Achilles dies pretty lamely yeah honestly yeah uh, and Achilles, or Hector dies uh, pretty heroically so to me it, it's a very long long myth to, right. to get to the true point that sure there's a lot of myths that show that pride goes before the fall right but I love that like this is a pagan myth that came mm-hmm. to this very fundamental conclusion right so I've always I've always liked that so, yeah um, and one thing that I, I just want to point out actually it might seem tangential but with that story that you gave an example of I think what's really good about myth, um, to give one more kind of vote in its favor, is just that part of its purpose is it can communicate a truth, like we said, more holistically, um, in a way that takes into account reality. Um, what I mean by that is sometimes you can just lay down a bare proposition in a way that's kind of, well, just regardless of anything else you hear, just focus on this, this is the bare proposition or moral of a story. But in a myth, you know, you got to blend that kind of teaching of a moral lesson together with what's real and what's human. Mm-hmm. And in that story, you have the message of pride goes before the fall. Yeah. And, and in direct contrast, you see Hector, who's a humble man. Mm-hmm. But what happens in the end? The Trojans are actually the one who lose. The, the yeah. humble, more patriotic people, uh, the really seemingly the more virtuous people, are the ones who lose. And so there's an element that comes in myth where, yes, you have your moral lesson taught effectively, but... It acknowledges kind of the the downsides of really flesh and blood humanity. Mm, yeah. That there's that difficulty that even sometimes good doesn't always triumph, and those kind of lessons need to be engaged in in a myth that you don't need to talk about when you're laying out a, a bare proposition or universal truth. But a myth can do that effectively. Yeah, yeah, it's, it has the freedom to explore right more. Yeah, it can be more realistic. Yeah. Well, I'm. Yeah, I mean that's. That's all there is to say. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's all there is to say. That's all we are going to say. Fair enough. Good <laughs> distinction. Good so, distinction. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for listening to our second episode of the all, It's All Good in the Brotherhood podcast. Um, hang on for episode three, hopefully coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram at allgoodinbrohood. And uh, you can also follow both Nate and I on Instagram for any updates. We'll maybe have some Q&A, question, answer, podcast uh, in the future. So start thinking about those questions, themes you might want to have us talk about. So until next time, God bless.